Welcome to the latest episode of the Iowa Revolution podcast. I am your host, Spencer Dirks, alongside my co-host, Dr. Bob Leonard. We are part of the Iowa Podcasters Collaborative. Make sure you follow everybody that's part of that. And Dr. Bob is part of the Iowa Writers Collaborative as part of the Substack. So make sure you follow him and his Deep Midwest Substack and everybody else that helps contribute to the Iowa Writers Collaborative. Beautiful day, Dr. Bob. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's a perfect day. My mom would call it a box day. Why is that? Put it in a box and save it for another day. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. A lot of stuff to get to. We promised last week we'd do a recap of the Iowa legislative session, which is exactly what we're going to start off this podcast with. We also have other stuff to get to. We'll see how much of it we do get to. Ron DeSantis was in the state of Iowa over the weekend. Donald Trump was supposed to be, but that was canceled. At least the reason given was because of severe weather in the Des Moines area. Also, Senator Joni Ernst has announced that two Republicans from the Trump administration will be her special guests at the annual Roast and Ride event on June 3rd. In fact, just off right after we got done with recording the podcast last Tuesday, the verdict came down in the civil trial. E. Jean Carroll won her civil trial against Donald Trump, and Trump was found liable for sexual abuse and defamation of E. Jean Carroll. Also, some good news later on, former UI researcher Chris Jones's book, The Swine Republic, is now available, so you can order that. We'll talk a little bit more about that. And then my top five sounds today. Have you thought of any sounds that should be in your top five list? I have a few. Okay. We'll get to that later on, but as promised, we're going to get into what was passed and what's been signed from the Iowa legislature this past legislative session. Uh, anything before we start this, Dr. Bob, that you want to get off your chest or anything that you're coming in hot with? No, I'm just ready to go. So these are all signed into law. So we'll start with the ones that Governor Reynolds has actually signed into law. Almost all the policies Governor Kim Reynolds laid out in her condition of the state address in January made it through the legislative process. By the way, this is from the Iowa Capitol Dispatch. The Des Moines Register also has a rundown of what all passed. So if you do want to go take a look and read for it yourself, Iowa Capitol Dispatch would be a good place to go. Uh, number one, the biggest priority was private school scholarships. That, of course, has passed, and we've talked about that ad nauseum. I don't know if there's much more to add, but starting May 31st, you can actually start signing up if you are a parent and have a kid that would want to go to private school, or if you want your kid to go to private school, on May 31st, you can start signing up, and that process will begin for next school year. Yes, and uh, some of the private schools have already raised tuition 10 to 40%. Like, we didn't see that coming. Yeah, and I saw there was one school that actually almost doubled uh, their tuition. I believe it was up in the Dubuque area, northeast Iowa. I can't remember. I should have written that down. But regardless, tuition is going up across the board. Right, and the biggest public giveaway to a private group of people, you know, in the state of Iowa history probably. Also, a big part of this last legislative session on Governor Reynolds' wish list was government reorganization. Uh, it was Senate File 514. It's a 1,600-page file. It reduces Iowa's current system of 37 executive-level cabinet agencies to 16, a process of merging and reorganizing that will uh, reorganize the governor's office. And it will supposedly save the state $214 million over four years. Government agencies are already in the process of consolidation, following the example set by the Department of Health and Human Services, which combined Iowa's public health and human services departments last year. 
The governor told reporters in April she hopes to have most of the mergers ready by July 1st. The law's enactment date. Most of these laws that we're mentioning will take effect on July 1st. Right. And it's consolidation of power. One of the things that also comes along with that is that the person running the department doesn't necessarily have to have any expertise in that field of study. I mean, we were already going there. The uh, head of the DNR just recently got her bachelor's degree. And so they're going to be Reynolds appointees. It's going to take fewer members of the legislature to you know, say that these are good appointees of the Republic. So she just gets whoever she wants credentials or not. It doesn't matter. So she can just pick whoever she likes. She can pick her friends, pick her buddies, pick people that have contributed to her campaign, for instance. Exactly. And we've already seen that that's started to happen. In medical malpractice news, as Iowa faces a rural health care shortage, Reynolds said House File 161, a measure capping non-economic damages in medical malpractice lawsuits, will help keep rural hospitals open. The governor signed the bill into law in February, which sets a $1 million cap for clinics and doctors and $2 million cap for hospitals and medical malpractice lawsuits, where the incident led to loss or impairment of a bodily function, disfigurement, or death. Well, the hospital CEOs that I talked to say this was much needed. There's an argument that said we should let the, you know, the juries and judges decide, but it is something that the rural CEOs that I know say is a positive for their hospitals. Yeah, we live in a rural part of the state. We depend on a rural hospital in our town, and I agree. I think that in order to attract doctors to our state, which is already pretty hard, this might make it a little bit easier knowing that doctors can come here and not be sued out the wazoo and possibly lose their license or lose their livelihood. I'm sure there are arguments against what we're saying, but I think that it's interesting to say something positive that has happened in the last legislative session because there's, you know, not, I can't <laughs> think of anything hey, else. We're fair and balanced here on the Iowa Revolution podcast. If they did something that at least was somewhat good, we'll give you credit for it. So that, yeah, medical malpractice. So those are all bills that have been signed. She's in the process of signing more bills as the, of course, just what, about 12 days ago, I think May 4th was the day that the legislature gaveled out of session. One of the big pieces of news as they were nearing the end of the legislative session is property tax reform. Jack Whitford and Pat Grassley said property tax reform, those were Republican legislators, was their top legislative priority in 2023. On the last day of the session, Reynolds signed House File 718 into law, providing an estimated $100 million in tax relief to Iowa property owners. The new law sets maximum property tax levy rates for cities and counties, requires new transparency measures, and provides seniors and veterans new property tax exemptions. Again, we'll see how it goes, but it was in need of reform. Yeah, and it was a bipartisan one, too, if I remember correctly. Gender-affirming care ban, something that we will not agree with the Republican legislators on. Senate File 538 prohibits transgender minors from accessing puberty blockers, hormone, uh, hormone replacement therapy, and surgical intervention as treatments for gender dysphoria. The governor signed the bill into law in March, starting the 180 countdown for medical providers to seize gender-related treatments for patients under the age of 18. Republicans said the measure is necessary to put a pause on treatments until more long-term studies into the results of childhood gender-affirming care are published and to stop children from making permanent health care decisions they could regret later in life. 
Democrats and LGBTQ advocates said the bill puts transgender youth at a greater risk of suicide. Yeah, and you know, I've been thinking about this. All the trans kids that I know, there's probably half a dozen, and I don't know, the majority of them are undergoing such treatment and seem to be much happier for it. I'm not a medical doctor, I'm not their parents, but the ones that I do know are very grateful for that treatment. It does seem weird that there's a lot of hypocritical statements coming out from the, especially the Republicans in the legislature when it comes to parents' choice. So they want the parent to have a choice to decide where their kid goes to school, but they don't want to have the parent have a choice when it comes to gender affirming care. And more importantly, like you said, in concert with a medical professional, why is the state legislature deciding these things when they don't know anything about it? Well, and yeah, one of the most remarkable instances was of a friend who has a trans daughter, who tall, big trans daughter. And the, they went through some very hard times before they made that transition, the medical transition. And the last time I saw the mom, for years she was so sad. The last time I saw the mom, she came running up to my wife and I saying, thank you for being so kind that their daughter was doing really fine in the small Iowa town and everybody's happy now. And, and they made so many journeys in her old truck going through this process that the truck was the vault of memories and she could never give that truck away. And just the joy she had in seeing us again since she was so sad, it had been a couple of years. So along those lines, gender affirming care ban, uh, student bathroom use was signed by Governor Reynolds. It's called the bathroom bill for all intents and purposes. The measure prevents people from using school restrooms that do not align with their designated gender at birth. Students who are uncomfortable using the facilities assigned can request accommodations with parental permission to use alternate facilities like single occupancy restrooms. I know that Cedar Rapids, Washington, for example, does have one of those bathrooms. You need a key that you can get at the office to use that. But again, it's just for no reason singling out trans kids. Well, there's a reason behind it because they need an enemy. They need somebody to, you know, to uh, cast as villains because then, I mean, that's what they do with you know, all kinds of things. And so you pick on the, the most marginalized people in society and you drive a wedge between us over, you know, people that a lot of people don't even know. It's just the way they work. And that's a losing battle too, because kids, they love RuPaul. They love, I mean, there are all kinds of kids, not just trans kids like RuPaul or other drag queens. It's just kids. It's, it's something interesting going on in the world around them. And they they're curious and they want to know, you know what's going on with that subculture. To go alcohol during the pandemic, they made it legal to go to a bar or restaurant and get to go alcohol. These laws did not prohibit transporting the to go alcoholic drinks within reach of the driver, leaving the state out of compliance with federal open container laws and putting $14 million in infrastructure funding at risk but they have closed that loophole. They were addressed in House File 433. Reynolds has signed that into law, and Iowa drivers are now required to put to-go alcohol containers in their trunks while traveling. Another one that just sort of makes sense. Yeah. And especially if you're gonna give up $14 million in infrastructure funding, let's close that loophole. Yeah, absolutely. And it also makes sense, I mean, open container laws. You shouldn't be able to just go to whatever bar you're gonna to go to and <laughs> take your, 
you know, margarita or whatever you grab to go and just put it in your cup holder. No. <laughs> I mean, that just doesn't make sense. This one is concerning Chinese investments. Public funds cannot be invested in some of the companies owned or controlled by the Chinese government under Senate File 418. The measure signed by Reynolds requires firms to consult a list of scrutinized companies involved with the People's Republic of China and places restrictions on investments in these companies. Supporters of the measures that I was trade with China in areas like agriculture and computer chips will not be hurt by this measure. It's all very complex. All I know is that China owns the biggest pork processing companies here. Right. I mean, they're already here. And so <laughs> Smithfield is owned by China. I mean, it's, it's already here. It's already happening. So I don't exactly know the intent of this. I don't really want the People's Republic of China owning all of you know, Iowa farmland. Seems like it may be a day late, dollar short. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, like you said, it's already happening. It's one of those things that looks good on paper. Let's not give the Chinese all of our money, but <laughs> too late. They already are. <laughs> too late. Well, and then during COVID, you know, we gave them all kinds of money to prop up the businesses, prop up the Chinese businesses that, that would further consolidate all the hog operations. And and, and then when they would borrow money from them and we'd give them money to make sure the companies stayed afloat. It didn't make sense. Nuisance animals. Farmers can now kill certain animals deemed a nuisance to crops and livestock, including raccoons, coyotes, and skunks, through Senate File 358. People wanting to kill or trap nuisance animals would still be required to seek state permission in city limits and non-farm properties and for cases involving endangered species. The farmer isn't <laughs> going to notice whether it's an endangered species or not. And I think a lot of the varmints are taken care of already. Um, but I heard a legislator talk about it once in, in Oski to a crowd. And it was like there was this, you know, in my mind as she spoke, it was just like the swarm of giant raccoons <laughs> coming to devour the farm. And I know I know that raccoons take a lot of corn, but it's it, the way she described it. It was like, a, you know, a, some kind of a horror some movie. Sort of scenes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just raccoons all over the place. Um, Parental rights, Senate File 496, one of Reynolds' education proposals. By the way, the ones that follow now are mainly education. We'll let you know when we switch topics. Requires school libraries to remove books with written or visual depictions of sex acts with an exemption for religious texts, of course. The bill also prohibits teachers from providing instruction and materials involving gender identity and sexual orientation to K-6 students. Requires schools to seek written parental permission if a child asked to use a name or pronoun different than the one assigned at birth and says school staff cannot knowingly, false, or misleadingly uh, inform on a child's gender identity to their parent. Teachers or school administrators in violation of these rules will be subject to a warning for their first offense and a Board of Educational Examiner's disciplinary hearing for any subsequent offenses. Small government. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just... And that, you know, there's no trust. I mean, I trust and have trusted our teachers, our librarians to help my kids and grandkids find the book that they need when they might not be comfortable talking with me about it. Right. And that's just fine. They're professionals. I think they can make that decision. And despite what Republicans want, all the gay and trans kids aren't going to go away. And if there's not a literature representing those kids, they're even additionally marginalized. Can you imagine the comfort of finding in a book a character, a protagonist that feels the way you do? Or if the whole library 
doesn't have one thing, one person that you can identify with. What is what is the worst situation? The world is real. It's out there. We can share, explain, do the best of, you know, to have our kids comfortable talking with us and, and teachers and librarians and work through these kinds of things. Or do you want to hide them? Do you want them to make them go away, to so marginalize them? Or for them to have to go on to the internet or some other untrusted source. Yeah, they act like the Republicans, for some reason, they don't think cell phones exist. Right. I mean, because. And wouldn't you rather have these things curated by professionals, yes. people with at least four year degrees, like all the librarians and teachers that we have in our Iowa schools? And ethics. Right. They're ethical obligations yeah. that they have. Right. So now it's ridiculous. And it's censorship. It's one more step along the way to authoritarianism. And a lot, again, a lot of these things will take effect July 1st. So it'll be in place by next school year. So it's a wait and see now to see what all books start getting banned. I mean, we already know some of them, but there's going to be more. Well, I was... And there's going to be teachers that lose their job because a lot of teachers will say, screw this, I'm going to do it anyway, and then either be forced to leave or leave on their own. Well, I just hope their communities stand behind those teachers and librarians. And what's interesting, too, is, you know, I got a list from the state librarian of the four books that were the best books for kids, that the kids voted were the best books. And I just happened to look to see if there were banned books anywhere. And one of them was banned. And it was banned for, it had a storyline that dealt with 9-11 and somebody in Afghanistan. And so I, I pulled it from the library. I looked at it. It was very challenging. And it said some things about our occupation of Afghanistan that I thought were very, very interesting and worth thinking about. But they didn't like that. They wanted the war in Afghanistan to be depicted as the perfect operation when it wasn't. We know that wasn't the truth, but they don't want the kids reading about it. And this is an award-winning book that's banned in some places because they don't want us to recognize, they don't want our kids to recognize the complexities of foreign intervention. Why wouldn't we want our kids to know that? Especially at that time, because if you're not learning it in school, when are you ever going to learn? And if you're learning that America only does the right thing, that's going to screw up your worldview yeah. for the rest of your life. Well, and what's going to make you a Republican, which is what they want. I don't think it's going to make them a Republican. I think it's going that they're going to go out there into the world and find it's a big, beautiful, wonderful place with all these different people in them, all these different ideas when they were forced this one narrative down their throats by Republicans. It's not going to. I'm optimistic that that kids are have bigger minds and want to explore more. More school stuff. Another of the governor's priority bills, Senate File 391, allows schools to use new strategies to address teacher shortages, such as allowing teachers to instruct multiple sequential subjects simultaneously in one classroom. It also removes some curriculum requirements on foreign language and financial literacy classes, as well as making it easier for, uh, easier for community college instructors to teach high school classes and for public librarians to work as school librarians. Yeah, that's, that'd take a lot for me to unpack. I'd have to look at every one of them just because I don't believe that these, they have the best intentions. Right. And so I have to, I have to think about it more than I have. 
Well, again, we will unpack. We already have talked about a lot of this stuff. We will continue to talk about more of it, but this is just kind of for our listeners to get a recap of what all has been going on. Uh, teacher accreditation has changed. Another step toward addressing Iowa's teacher shortage came in House File 614, a bill allowing out-of-state teachers to become more easily credentialed in Iowa. Lawmakers also approved a bill changing the state oversight of the accreditation process. House File 430 changes the makeup of the Iowa Board of Educational Examiners to include more parents. The board is currently comprised of nine school staff from different educational fields and two parents. The proposal would put five school staff, five parents, and one school board member on the board. While Democrats said this change takes away power from people with the most professional knowledge, supporters said parents should be given more power in education. Parents have a lot of power. They just have to walk in and talk to the teacher. But what what this does is it demeans the teaching profession. These people went to school for at least four years. Some have master's degrees. A lot of them have master's degrees. Yeah. And so you have, you don't, you know, you don't put more, oh, uh, citizens on medical boards to give people more. You need expertise. Exactly. And so it's just diminishing the teacher's. And this is part of the plan to destroy the exactly. public it's schools. It's all part of the plan because we've already mentioned all the reasons why there is a teacher shortage. First of all, we're a rural state with not a huge population to begin with, so it's hard to attract people from other states to come here. Now it's even more difficult because teachers are going to be under the thumb of the state legislature, not only the school board, but the state legislature. So this isn't going to help. I don't see how this no. is going to help. No, let's value our teachers. If anything, we're just going to get worse teachers. So how does that help? But that's what they want. Right. They want to destroy the public schools. Right. They don't really care who the teachers are as long as those positions are filled and those 30 kids have a teacher. Uh, This one is on teacher empowerment. House File 604 creates a new disciplinary procedure for teachers dealing with violence in the classroom and disruptive students. An issue lawmakers said many educators asked them to address The legislation creates a three-strike system for students who repeatedly cause problems in a classroom. The first offense results in one day of in-school suspension, the second in five days of in-school suspension, and the third expels the student from the class. The bill also requires schools to inform teachers about their rights when coming into physical contact with a violent student and allows teachers to make a complaint to the Ombudsman Office on classroom violence. Well, something needs to be done. Our teachers need some help. It just so happened that I was speaking with a retired teacher, and she was a a teacher that dealt with kids with special needs. And she was in high school and middle school, and there was a track where there would be kids that would have trouble in some kind of classrooms, and they would come into her classrooms. And a lot of the trouble was because they didn't understand what was going on. And so she was able to help them and then bring them back in on the topics that they could, for example, like they might not be able to get all the way through a particular book, but there was a more condensed version of the book that she could hit the highlight. So so they could come back in and discuss things with the other class. And so that parallel track that would converge when convergence was possible, she thought was wonderful. But now the system is that everybody's in it together, which isn't what she thought was the best way to do it. So you can tailor it to different tracks. And I don't know, I don't have all of the answers on it, but it's, this is an issue. 
Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. The Iowa Board of Regents is not allowed to spend funding on diversity, equity, and inclusion programs at Iowa's three public universities until a study is conducted under a measure passed in the Education Appropriations Bill last Wednesday. Board of Regents President Michael Richards already announced his plans to conduct a study and review Iowa's DEI programs with the program's funding on hold until the review is complete. I don't know, it's, they can help the kids that have been marginalized, but I feel like they can help us too right. to understand the nature of the power differential and why you wouldn't want to do that. I don't know. Why? Because you don't want your power threatened. You're the old white guy. You don't want your power threatened. by Racism. Yeah. Pure and simple. Child labor, getting more into the workforce now. That was most of the educational stuff that was passed this last legislative session. Senate File 542 made national news for allowing Iowa miners to work in potentially dangerous fields like mining and meatpacking, but the bill lawmakers ultimately sent to Reynolds walked some of those measures back. The legislation allows 16 and 17 year olds to seek exemptions from the state to work in restricted fields, such as roofing and demolition as part of a work study program. The bill also expands the maximum daily hours miners ages 14 to 17 can work allowing 14 and 15 year olds to work a maximum of six hours and 16 and 17 year olds to work the same hours as adults. The bill also allows 16 and 17 year olds to serve and sell alcohol at restaurants until kitchens close. The house also added new requirements such as sexual harassment prevention training for employers and having two adult employees physically present for businesses where minors serve alcohol, addressing concerns that teens would be at a higher risk of sexual harassment in these environments. A lot to unpack there, for sure. Cut SNAP benefits. Poor kids will have to work longer, do worse at schools, not have an opportunity to go to college. Also take them out of extracurricular activities yeah. that they might be involved in. Yeah. But again, this is multi-layered, like you said, and we've already talked about this quite a bit, so I don't know how in-depth we have to go. But And the, other, the next thing that I was going to bring up is the asset test when it came to Iowans receiving SNAP benefits. That is Senate File 494. The bill sets new income limits and a $15,000 cap for assets with exemptions for the value of a home, car, and $10,000 for a second household car. Food insecurity advocates said that these limits discourage saving and that many legitimately needy Iowans could lose food assistance because of reporting discrepancies and bureaucratic problems through the identity verification requirements. The Legislative Services Agency projected 8,000 Medicaid recipients and 2,800 SNAP recipients may be removed if the bill is signed into law. I imagine it will be signed into law. Yeah, and that's going to hit. I attended. So those two things go hand in yeah. hand. We're going to kick kids and families off of Medicaid and SNAP benefits, which is going to require them to get into dangerous work. Yeah, and I was at a small rally at the Capitol where, you know, the people that deal with people with food insecurity issues every day where they're pleading for the legislators to not do this because SNAP is one of the best programs we have. It it puts kids at, you know, at a good level, you know, it gives them enough money to eat so they can do well at school. And uh, there was a veteran there, it was a disabled veteran that one of the things that they were doing to him would lower his his benefit from like $32 a month to 16 Right. He was explaining that. Right. And it's like, yeah, just have to dig and dig and dig and, and squeeze people and squeeze them and 
suck every last ounce of labor from them, even if they can't work, you just sort of cast them aside rather than helping them. That veteran, how much had he given for our country to be there pleading for enough yeah. money to live? Right. Gave everything. It's getting kind of hard to do this. Well, we have to quit talking about Republicans and what they're doing in the legislature. Uh, Thankfully, the legislative session is over. We're almost done. But this is how I felt every day, reading the news, seeing what they were doing, seeing what they were getting by with, and reporters doing a good job of reporting it, but people just not paying attention to what's going on. You mentioned the Trump tax cuts that were passed in 2017. It was almost $2 trillion in tax cuts over the course of a decade. So that's fine. The corporate tax rate was reduced from 35 to 21% as part of those tax cuts. Yeah, they're tax cuts for the rich. And now we're arguing over the debt ceiling. The Republicans, they got that tax cut for the rich, and now they don't want to pay for it. Uh, When it comes to fentanyl, Reynolds' proposal to tackle the fentanyl crisis through harsher punishments awaits her signature. House File 595 raises penalties for manufacture, distribution, and possession of drugs containing fentanyl and raises sentences further for cases resulting in injury or death due to the drug use. The bill was amended to expand access to naloxone, a drug used to prevent overdose deaths, allowing first responders and organizations like substance abuse rehab centers access to the opioid antagonist. Well, that sounds good. It does. They've handcuffed Rob Sand. Democrats said a bill restricting the state auditor's access to information was, quote, politically motivated against Democratic Auditor Rob Sand and puts billions in federal funding at risk. Senate File 478 limits the office from obtaining personal information when performing an audit that gives exceptions in investigations of embezzlement, theft, fraud, or other significant financial irregularities. Again, he's the only statewide Democratic office holder that we have, and they want to limit his power. And at this point, if Governor Reynolds or her state agencies don't want him investigating something, he pretty much won't be allowed to investigate. No, he can't look at, you know, a particular oh, element of her administration, a particular office without her permission and the head of the office's permission. So how often is that going to happen? Yeah. Uh, changes to the Iowa caucus. Iowa Republicans sent House File 716 to the governor in hopes of preserving the Iowa caucus's first-in-the-nation status. The bill was introduced in response to the Iowa Democratic Party's plan to move to a mail-in caucus system. The bill requires Iowa political parties to meet in person at precinct caucuses to select their delegates as part of the presidential nominating process. We talked about that, I think, two shows ago. Um, yeah, it was basically just because the Democrats wanted to have a mail-in caucus which could threaten first-in-the-nation status. New Hampshire is a primary. If you're doing a mail-in ballot, that's really not a caucus to begin with. It pretty much is a primary. So all in all, to be honest, I don't really have much of an issue with it because the Democrats still could have the caucus where you're electing delegates separate from the mail-in balloting that they wanted to do. But you can't do both at the same time. I just don't think that the Republicans can legislate what the Democrats can do with right. their caucuses. Exactly. It's not a state of Iowa thing. It's a Democratic Party thing. So, again, you're right. The Democrats can and should do whatever they want. But we're almost done here, thank God. Public lands, a bill requiring the Iowa DNR prioritize maintenance of current public lands over acquisition of new lands, died in the House 
committee process following significant public opposition from conservationists, cyclists, and hunters who said the measure would limit the growth of Iowa's parks and trails. The lawmakers added a similar provision to the Agriculture and Natural Resources Spending Bill, striking Iowa code language directing the DNR to have 10% of Iowa's land under public open space protections by 2000. Republicans argued the DNR should focus on taking care of the current lands. The Iowa Farm Bureau Federation and several cattle farmers supported the earlier attempts at limiting public land acquisitions, saying acquired land could be sold to beginning farmers. If the Farm Bureau had its druthers, there wouldn't be a blade of grass in Iowa. Yeah, as soon as you read that the Iowa Farm Bureau Federation is involved in that, that just means that they want to keep those lands private so they can make a bunch of money off the land. Uh, This is health and safety for midwifery. After years of failing to advance House File 265, a bill establishing a midwife licensure process in Iowa made it to the governor's desk this year. While some medical organizations opposed the licensing process for potentially misleading Iowans on the safety of the alternative maternal health field, supporters say midwives could help address Iowa's maternal health care shortage. And I agree with that. I could. We used midwives for our kids, and it was great. Nursing home reimbursements as Iowa nursing homes face closures and a backlog backlog of complaints. Lawmakers approved a measure putting a moratorium on new nursing facilities. House File 685 also gives Medicaid payers more power in recovering funds and reimbursements from other health insurers and establishes a higher tax on managed care organizations' premiums to allow the state to collect more in federal reimbursement funds, which is, that's just a whole mess. We're an aging population. More needs to be done with nursing right. homes. And that may be a small step, but it really doesn't solve any no. issues. Home food businesses, businesses that make and sell food products from home would be allowed to serve hot made-to-order dishes under House File 661. The bill loosens restrictions on home food and processing establishments, food processing plants, and temporary food establishments, and farmers market vendors. It just seems less safe to me. Yeah, it is. It's, I mean, we have rules and regulations about the distribution of food. I mean, and we have enough violations in our existing restaurants. Just think. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You see it from restaurants that are overseen. These businesses would not be overseen. Raw milk is legal. As much as I want to get into that. And that's pretty much it, man. That is all she wrote. Yeah. Can't teach about pasteurization either, I guess. I mean, that was one of the key elements in learning about inventions and inventors and yep. in school. Louis Pasteur. Yeah. Uh, no more. Uh, anything you want to add? Um, I mean, God bless the, the legislature, but uh, I think we're all glad that they're done. Yeah. It's going to be the same legislature next year, of course. There won't be any elections between this year and next year, so it will be all of our same representatives, all of our same senators. So what I just read there is probably just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, and they'll come up with new weird things and new enemies that we're going to have to, you know, to further divide us and issues. And Let's get through this last. Uh, we are, yeah, already over time. So let's get through this last couple things pretty quickly. DeSantis was in Sioux Center. Cedar Rapids and Des Moines on Saturday. His Des Moines appearance was at Jethro's Bar uh, Barbecue, not far from where Trump's scheduled rally in Des Moines was canceled due to rain and severe weather. Also, you had a, an interview that you had posted on your Substack Deep Midwest with the Iowa Senate President Amy Sinclair, who's a friend of yours, and she has endorsed 
Ron DeSantis for president. Yeah, and that was interesting. And 37 other um, members of the Republican legislature have. And then the next day, Trump came out with 150 islands that endorsed him. And there were only 16 sitting senators on that list. So DeSantis beat him. And the person from Marion County, where we live, I've never even heard of. So he's just pulling names, yeah. you know, randomly out of the hat. I went to the Trump rally. I don't know if I told yeah. you that. I was going to ask you, were you there before they canceled the event? I was walking up to get my press credentials when they canceled. Gotcha. And uh, what was it like? Was it worth canceling? Because there was also rumors that they didn't have a very good turnout, and that was why it was canceled. There's you know, no, I mean, I that's just a rumor, so I'm not saying that that was the reason. But you were there. How was the crowd? Uh, there were a couple hundred people there, maybe more. Um, but it was I was there at three thirty. Yeah. So people can say it was because there wasn't a crowd, but the only people who know are the people on Trump's team that issued the tickets yeah. that we had to bring, Eventbrite or whatever it is. So that only they know everything else is speculation. Yeah. Uh, also, speaking of Iowa, it's not really an, an endorsement yet, but U.S. Senator Joni Ernst announced two Republicans from the Trump administration will be special guests at her annual Roast and Ride event. It'll be held on June 3rd. Ernst announced on Monday that former Vice President Mike Pence, your favorite guy, and former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley will be attending her event. The charity fundraiser has been one of the more prominent Iowa caucus stops for Republican presidential candidates since Ernst took office in 2015. Also, I did hear this morning that Mike Pence has not thrown his hat in the ring yet, but it looks to be imminent that he will be declaring his candidacy here pretty soon. And everybody should go watch him on his walk of shame. Yeah. He's the most insincere, pathetic, hollow shell of a man I've ever met. But you do, I think, have a little bit more respect for Nikki Haley. And Amy Sinclair, who endorsed Ron DeSantis, also had some good things to say about Nikki Haley. So that would, that would be pretty interesting, I think, a, a Nikki Haley versus Ron DeSantis runoff in Iowa. Well, yeah, I, I think that if we have to put Tim Scott into this sure. too. Tim Scott called me the other day. Did I tell you that? Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's just really interesting. Apparently he saw the piece I did for Time Magazine on Nikki Haley, or, but he wants to get together, which is just like sort of a shock. But, you know, this is Iowa. It's Republican caucus time. So I think if either Haley, remember it's Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina. And so... If either Haley or Scott comes out of Iowa or New Hampshire good, South Carolina is going to decide whether their native son or daughter is fit for the White House. So that to me is just fascinating. We'll see if they can, maybe, you know, Chris Christie comes in and beats up Trump and they skate around like roller derby. It does seem like it could be a three-horse race after South Carolina where either Tim Scott or Nikki Haley joins Trump and DeSantis, and that's really your your main three challengers for the Republican candidacy. Well, or it could be like Tom Harkin and Tom Vilsack who couldn't get any traction in Iowa. Sure. It could be the and same for them. And they're just both done. Yeah. Right. And then it is just Trump and DeSantis until one of them backs out. Right. Or somebody else that we're not talking about. Sure. That's also, I mean, it's still very early in the process. So certainly not counting our chickens before they hatch. Uh, speaking of Donald Trump, he was found liable for sexual abuse and defamation of writer E. Jean Carroll. And it doesn't matter to Republicans. I well, can't believe that I can't believe that we've had that we had to listen to that description from a, a previous president. 
and that 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 and all of Trump's other crimes don't make a difference to his supporters. Uh, what's good? Former UI researcher Chris Jones's book, The Swine Republic, is now available for sale. You can order it online at IceCubePress.com. Again, IceCubePress.com. It's also available at Amazon, Target, wherever you might find your books. Obviously, we talked about Chris Jones quite a bit over the past couple of weeks, especially two weeks ago. He is the researcher that left the University of Iowa because the university was pressured from a couple of Republican legislators to take his blog down, which he did, and then he decided that he will be retiring. And I believe either yesterday or today is his final day. Today is his final day. Yeah. So make sure you buy that book. It's a lot of information. You've read the book already. I'll be ordering it soon, but pretty much lays bare between big ag and Republican legislators shouldn't even say Republican, but Iowa legislators have been in cahoots to not protect our water. Yeah. Democrats are afraid of dealing with the, with the issue, you know, agriculture, ethanol, planting, you know, so much, uh, so little diversification. Democrats can't step on that third rail of agricultural politics. So again, if you want to know the true story of what actually is going on with Iowa's waterways, by the Swine Republic by Chris Jones. It's time for my top five this week. Top five sounds. Before I get to my top five, do you have a few sounds that really trip your trigger? Oh, birds singing. Yeah, that's a good one. The sound of the ATM when it sends out the cash. That's, that's good. Sound. That should have made my list. I made this list a little while ago. When you mentioned that last time, I thought that is a really, really sound well the uh but see some people who over the course of their life never had to worry about you know money maybe not they probably the cash yeah, out, right. yeah they yeah they probably don't even think about it i don't know a good i don't know the shutting of anything a door that's good i mean even a nice car door slam that's just nice and tight to show you that the Cars in good shape. I think that's good. The sound of it, the hood going down is good. That is a good one. Yeah, I mean, which is those are all kind of similar to my number one. I think you can all kind of categorize those into pretty close to what my number one sound. Well, let's get to it. All right, my number five is your engine turning over if it's really cold in the morning, or if you're jump starting. That's really good. Just a like, thank God when it's ten below in Iowa, and I'm waking up at 4.30 in the morning to get to work and you actually, you know, like, oh God. Yeah. (laughs) Then you back off and try again. Right. Yeah, it just goes from scared as hell to elation. Yeah. Number four is a baseball hitting a glove. That's good. Pretty much any baseball sound, a bat hitting a ball, just being at a baseball field, there's just all sorts of great sounds and just crowds cheering and people talking, but baseball hitting a glove, one of my favorites. Number three is a kitten purring. And I actually just had, I just recently got two new cats. Uh, I've never owned a cat before. Most of my life I've been allergic to cats. One of the cats that we had, the first one that we basically adopted was a stray and it pretty much just chose us. Just said, I'm moving in, <laughs> not much you can do about it. And at that point I realized, hey, I'm living fine with this cat with no allergy at all. And then we adopted another cat from the Humane Society. So. Kittens purring, number three. Number two is storms. 
Storms are bad. Thunder, rain. Yeah. Number one, the click of a well-made box. That's good. So you mentioned the car door. Yeah, things same that, stuff. Things that just fit well. And you can just know by the sound that, that, that it was well-made. That somebody took the time to create it perfectly. There's better ones than that. <laughs> I'm all ears. Children playing on a playground. It's a great sound, yeah. Babies babbling. Yeah. Yeah, those are great sounds. Those are good sounds. Just smiling, thinking about them. Yeah. Those are very good sounds. Uh, next, any other sounds that I left off? Oh, probably, but I think this is a good spot to end or yeah. close to it. After By the way, the... next week, top five smells. So that was sounds. Because I think last time you brought up smells. So I was like, well, we should do top five smells right after sounds. Because you mentioned baking bread. Yeah. It's a really good smell. So yeah, we'll do top five smells next week. Sounds good to me. Anything else before we... Because yeah, that was about the longest this pod has ever been probably. Last week was really long too. And I promise folks, I know that this podcast can get depressing. But number one, we're doing this for a reason. We're not just doing this to depress you. We're doing this to inform you and let you know what actually is happening. And we'd like to convince you to vote for Democrats so we can stop talking about this crap. We'd really like you to, if you haven't, register to vote and vote in every single election. Don't just vote for the president. Vote for your school boards. Vote for your city council. Vote for your local legislators. And maybe this podcast will convince you that it is very much needed for you to get out and vote. Just look to the north. Look what they're doing in Minnesota. Yeah. The wonderful things they're doing. And that state is thriving under Democratic leadership. And it's possible here. Absolutely. We're not leaving. We're not fleeing, although I do understand why some people are. But we would like our state to change. So if it does get a little bit depressing sometimes, just know that we're on your side. We're also depressed by this stuff, but we want it to change. And we're fighting for it to change. Yes. And we welcome everybody to fight alongside us. Thank you so much for listening to the eighth episode of the Iowa Revolution Podcast. Again, we're part of the Iowa Podcasters Collaborative. Follow us on Twitter. We're at Iowa Revolution. And Dr. Bob, it's always good to see you. Thanks for uh, sitting for an hour with me, and we'll see you again next week. Thanks, Spencer. Looking forward to it.